I don't know what that sounded like over the airwaves, but that sounded beautiful in here. I appreciate Charlie leading those songs. He asked me what the lesson was about, and I told him, and um, appreciate him leading those songs. If you um, want to follow along, there's an outline on the back of the bulletin that you can take notes if that helps you. We enjoyed having our three-year-old granddaughter with us recently, and Ren loves taking a bath. And it's a good thing because when bath time was over, Sia took Ren into the other room to dry her off and put on her pajamas, and I stayed in the bathroom to uh, let out the bath water. And there was so much dirt <laughs> left in the tub, and I thought, how could that much dirt be on that little bitty body? You know, it'd been a while, but it reminded me of a fact of life, especially about children. Staying clean is not a natural state. It just doesn't happen. And children, for sure, have remind us of that. Maybe you heard about the little boy that is on his way to church, and somewhere between getting out of the car and getting into Sunday school, he found a mud puddle. And his teacher was just so just amazed at how dirty he was just walking in the class. She said, don't you know cleanliness is next to what? And he said, it's next to impossible. <laughs> now, if that's true in the physical sense, it's even more true in the spiritual sense. And that's what I want us to talk about for the next couple of moments. How does a believer, a Christian, a child of God live in a sin-polluted world? It is everywhere. How do we do that and remain clean and remain holy? Well, the only way is to take refuge in Jehovah M. Kadesh. We find this name of God in Leviticus 20, verses 7 through 8. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy. For I am the Lord your God. Keep my statutes and do them. I am, and in the Hebrew, Jehovah M. Kadesh, the Lord who sanctifies you. Now, if you've ever studied the names of God, you know this name of God can appear in several different spellings. And it's not so much the spellings that I want us to, to think about when we try to take this from Hebrew to English. But what I do want to make sure that we get, and I put this on your outline, it's on the screen as well, the words holy sanctify, saint, set apart. When you read that in our English translations, have a common root word, kadesh in Hebrew and hagios in Greek. Now that's important because sometimes we might like one word more than the other, but we're talking about the same concept. I really think our study today can be most enlightening. And just help us as we try to uh, understand what does the Bible teach about this. We still have so much to learn about God. So I want to begin with two principles. The first is this. We need to know an essential attribute of God is his holiness. I was talking with one of our elders several months back, and we were talking about this concept of holiness. And he mentioned to me, maybe we need a lesson on the holiness of God. Do we truly appreciate that concept of God? And to my knowledge, the Bible is full of that teaching. And I think of a, a couple of texts that give us a glimpse into the throne room of God. The Lord opened Isaiah's eyes so that he could see. And he records this in Isaiah 6, verse 3. You know the verse, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And the whole earth is full of his glory. 
And then in Revelation, John described the living creatures saying, Revelation 4, 8, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. This is not just holy, holy, say it twice, but three times. Holy, holy, holy. It's supposed to make a point. The holiness of God is an important aspect that we all need to acknowledge. The challenge I think we face today is to a degree just the word holy. Because the word holy is, well, it's not so holy anymore. We use that word commonly. We'll say holy smoke, holy cow, holy moly, whatever that means. That's kind of part of it. We don't know what it means. We just kind of say it, and, and, and holy has nothing to do with it. It's just so common. We just say it without thinking. Now, compare that to the primary meaning in the Bible, meaning to separate, to sanctify, to set apart. In the Bible, it is God's holiness that makes him distinct from all the other false gods. Let me share a couple of verses. Deuteronomy 4.35. To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other besides him. 1 Samuel 2 verse 2. The beautiful song of Hannah. There is none holy like the Lord. For there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Isaiah 44.6. Thus says the Lord... The King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Over and over again, the Bible talks about how God is set apart. He is different. He is holy. He's above all else. That is who he is. Everything about God is holy. He loves you with a holy love. Nobody loves you like God loves you. His grace is holy. His wrath is holy. One day the Bible says all creation will acknowledge that God is holy. So if that is true, then we also need to understand a holy God demands a holy people. Even those who believe that God is holy. We sometimes struggle with this one. What does it mean to be a holy people? Because today, holy, again, is a word, not only is it common, and we don't mean much by it, but sometimes we think of it in a negative way. We don't, in, the, in the times of the Bible, to, to call someone holy was the ultimate compliment, a holy man. But today, we think of it, and that's not attractive to us. We don't want to be a holy roller. We don't want anybody to think that I'm holier than thou. We use it in a negative connotation. Bless you, sir, heads. And the fact is that God is a holy God and God desires his people to be holy people. So what does that mean? Because the purpose of our redemption is so that we could be made holy people. Ephesians 1 verse 4, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. So the reason God redeemed us, the reason God redeemed Israel, and he made it in clear, and it's a very important text in the Old Testament, not necessarily the one that's the most read, but it, it, it explains the identity of these people of God. They've been delivered from bondage. God had rescued them across the Red Sea. He defeated their enemies. And so God has redeemed them. But why? Why is God interested in these slaves? 
Why do they matter? Look at Exodus 19, verse 2 and following. There Israel encamped before the mountain. While Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. When, when Moses went to that mountain, he received the law. And so he was told then to share with the people how they were to walk and how they were to worship. How to be this redeemed people. You keep my covenant, God says, and I'm going to set you apart. That's going to make you a holy nation, the special people. You're going to be unlike all the other people on the earth. You're going to be my people. A holy nation is the way he words it. So before Moses came down from the mountain, notice how God instructs him in Exodus 31, verse 12 and 13. The Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all you shall keep the Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations. And you shall know, and here's the word again, that I am the Lord, I the Lord sanctify you. Same word, Jehovah M. Kadesh. So God was saying, you keep my covenant, you keep my laws, I'm going to make you holy. You keep my rules, that's going to set you apart. The two go hand in hand there. If you follow after God, God's going to make you holy. That's the whole teaching of Scripture. Now, notice this. There's two parts about being holy. One, you're set apart from evil. The other is you're set apart for God's purposes. So there's two folds to that. So to be set apart is not to be puffed up, not to be proud of yourself, not to be arrogant. That's not what he's talking about at all. To be set apart from evil for God's purpose. Listen to the New Testament, how it borrows from the Old Testament the same kind of uh, words and imagery. 1 Peter 2, verse 9 and 10, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So when is something holy? When it is set apart for God. That's what the word means. That's the definition there. And you think about that. The Sabbath was holy, not because it was Saturday, not because it was the seventh day. It was holy because God set it apart. That's what made it special. The temple was a holy place because God set it apart. The Holy Bible is a special book. It's God's word. God said he wants a people who are set apart, a treasured nation. And part of our journey to holiness comes with the understanding of who God wants us to be, who we are in him. Let's say it was March the 11th. 1830, when a little girl in England was studying her British history. That day, it was about the royal family. That was very important to those people. And according to the story, as this little girl was reading her books, tears flowed down her cheeks, and she looked up and said, 
I will be good. Her name was Victoria. And it dawned on her at a young age that one day she would be queen. She understood her calling. She had a special position. And it motivated her at an early age to live accordingly. God says, you are my chosen people, my royal nation. So how does God make us holy? Let's, let's talk about that for a moment. There's three points I want us to get. Holiness first is positional. Holiness is positional. To be set apart first is an act of God. This is what God does for us. Before you read on in your Bibles into Leviticus with all the rules and the laws, we've got to stop back here with Exodus and understand how these people came to be. You cannot go toward holiness before you realize God called the children out of slavery. It's kind of the same for us. That's our identity. We're out of the slavery of sin. We understand that. Hebrews 10, verse 10, Jesus said, I have come to do your will. And then it says, and by that will, we've been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Look at Colossians 1.22. He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Holiness is positional. He makes you holy because you are in his grace. You give God your faith. God gives you his holiness. You are now positionally holy in the eyes of God. I think there are two verses at least that describe how when God looks at you and me, he sees us as holy. Look at Galatians 6, I mean Galatians 3, 26 and 27. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ. For you, you all have been baptized into Christ. You've clothed yourselves with Christ. Some translations render that put on Christ. You have a new wardrobe. It's your it's your colors. It's, it's your uniform. You've been clothed with Christ. And then Colossians 3.3, 3, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Isn't it beautiful imagery? We have these, the clothing of Christ. But even when we read these words, sometimes we still struggle with this, don't we? Because we know our sin, we know our guilt, we, we know our imperfection, we know our unholiness. So how does God do this? Some days it's hard to believe that God would ever forgive you. So how does God look at you and see you then as holy? According to these verses, it's because your life is hidden in Christ. It's because you have put on Christ. When he sees you, he sees Jesus. This is what we need to know when we are in Christ. We need to teach this, even to our children at an early age, to understand this positionally. Maybe this is a good way to illustrate it. When you've lived in a certain area for, for a while, let's say Middle Tennessee, and you're watching the weather, and they'll just show like the Middle Tennessee map, and it has all the counties outlined without names, just the outline. You can spot Murray County. In fact, your eye goes there. You know what I'm talking about? You just, you just do it. And in fact, when a, a tornado warning comes and they talk about, you know, which part of Murray County is affected, well, you know where you are. And she know, well, that's going to hit the top edge. It won't get me or the bottom edge. And I'm safe or it's coming right at me. And you know that. You know where you are positionally. Now, you ever been traveling like on vacation and you're concerned about the weather and you turn on the local news and they show you the map? 
and it's a whole bunch of strange shapes, and you don't even know where you are. Now, you know where you are in the city, but you don't know where you are in the map to even know. That's what we're talking about here, knowing where you are positionally. I'm concerned that too many of us don't know that. Where we are positionally. We forget that we're hidden in Christ, that we're clothed with Christ. Because when you get that, not just read the verses, but when you accept that, this position of holiness, you're not afraid of a holy God. You're not afraid of a second coming. You pray, Lord, come quickly. You're ready to see Him because you're one with Him. You don't cover your eyes. You're, not, you're aware of your sin. Yes, Rush talked about that as we do with communion. But you realize that that is hidden with Christ. You are clothed with Christ. You are forgiven. You are holy. It totally changes the way we look at God. See, Exodus helps us to see who they were. And then Leviticus helps us see who they're supposed to be, how they're supposed to live, how they're supposed to act. Same for us in our own salvation. And then we move on to sanctification, which is the second point. So first, it's positional. Secondly, holiness is practical. Because the gift of Christ, we are now free to be holy. When we talk about being free, that sometimes makes us a little nervous, doesn't it? What do you mean we're free? If we're free, that means we're free, to, we're free to do whatever we want. We're free to sin. But stop and think a moment. We're already free to sin. That's the way God designed for us. We could choose to follow Him. We can choose not to follow Him. We've always been free to sin. But the freedom in Christ is the freedom to do right. Do you ever think about it that way? That you've been set free to do right. The Israelites were set free from bondage. You remember the whole point of Pharaoh, let my people go so they can go worship me. Do you remember that? That was the request. They couldn't do that before. You've been set free to do what is right. Chicago's airport is named O'Hare. You know the name. Named after Edward Butch O'Hare, first naval aviator to receive the Congressional Medal of Honor. Honor. But there's a backstory to it. Do you know the story? His father was the attorney for Al Capone. And his name was forever associated with Al Capone. But he had this young son that he did not want to have that association. But if you're the attorney for the mob, you can't just retire or resign or get another job, right? I mean, you're always associated. You're always connected. You, you can't do that. But he knew that if he didn't do something, his son would also have that connection, that baggage holding him back. So he took a drastic measure to cut his ties, and it cost him his life. But when his son applied to Annapolis, he was accepted. Because those who were reviewing his application thought, you know, his dad did not want him to be tied to that. And allowed him to have a fresh start. He was set free to do good. That's what we're talking about here. That's, to me, so well illustrates spiritual bondage is no different. We've been redeemed. Jesus paid the price. 
He sets you free from bondage to do what's good, to do what's right, to live the way life was supposed to be. Practical holiness is not supposed to be compartmentalized. It doesn't just happen on Sunday. It doesn't just happen when people are watching. It's every day. It's all the time. In every area of your life, you live distinctly according to the will of God. I was thinking about this, and I wondered how many times we might, in our minds, equate holiness with uncomfortable clothes. You know what I'm talking about? Like itchy fabrics, tight collars, shoes that make your feet hurt. You have to wear them to certain things, and you can't wait till that's over so you can take them off and put on your stretchy pants, as my wife likes to say. The comfortable clothes. Do we think of holiness that way? It's like something you have to grin and bear for a little while, and then you can revert back to what you really like to do. But when you read through Leviticus, what you see is holiness is practical. It's not to make you uncomfortable. It's to help you with the best life. So over and over again, what you read about this practical holiness is this is how you live. This is how you eat. This is how you dress. This is how you work. This is how you worship. This is how you go about life. This is how you treat your neighbor. It's very practical in this holiness. And holiness is no different for us today. Not to make us odd or strange, just to help us be free to live the good life. Look at 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16. As he who called you is holy, so you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. God made you holy in Christ, so you can live a life freely that's distinct in your heart, in your decisions, in your speech, in your choices, in the way you deal with people. Look at Hebrews 12, 14. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See, as much as we might be uncomfortable with this concept of holiness, we need to get over that. And quickly. Because without it, we will not see the Lord. Without holiness... We will not see the Lord. This is not something we just need to understand and accept. We need to embrace this. But now understand, God does not make us holy. He does not, not set us apart to, to make us avoid the world. In fact, he set you apart so that you can live that holy life in the world. The world needs to see what it means to be distinct. The world needs to see what it's like to be free to do the right thing. A few moments ago, we read Peter's remarks about the holy nation. Kind of same uh, wording that we see in the Old Testament. But how do you do that? Look at the next two verses. Verses 11 and 12 of 1 Peter 2. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from passions of the flesh, which wage war against the soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers... They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Notice Peter also mentions the two dimensions here of holiness. You have to set apart, say no to what's wrong. You abstain, it's the word he uses there. And then you say yes to God. You live such good lives that people notice that. They see that. You are free to do what is right. And sometimes doing the right is just practical. It's like... It's paying the bills. It's staying in your marriage. It's disciplining your children. It's just doing the right thing. Not necessarily the easy thing, but it's the right thing. It's the best thing. God would say the holy thing. 
God sets you apart. He makes you holy. But you also play a part in that by your decisions, by your choices, by the way you treat people. It's especially tragic when people dismiss the one true God because of an unholy Christian. I read about a blind man who sat at the gate of a great city, and of all things, he held a lantern. Everybody always wonder, why does a blind man need a lantern? And finally, someone asked him, why, why do you carry this lantern? He said, I have the lantern so that no one will stumble over me. Sometimes a lot of attention is put into what is stated in this church as we teach and preach. But I would say what's as important, if not more so, is the lives all of us live day in and day out when we leave this building. We are a walking advertisement. What do we say about this holy God? Holiness is positional. Holiness is practical. And then third, holiness is progressive. We grow with God's help. Just as your positional holiness is an act of God, your growth in this practical holiness is really the grace of Jehovah in Kadesh, the God who sets you apart, who sanctifies you. But don't, don't get the impression, though, that practical holiness is simply something God does to you. It's really something that we join hands with him and we partner together. But neither is it all up to you. It's not like it's all on you. God helps you with this. The holiness of God is what makes him seem not just set apart from other gods, but sometimes even to us as unapproachable. He's such a holy God. You know, how can I tell him about my problems or really understand what I'm going through? Or can I even talk to him? What's amazingly beautiful about this transcendent God is that he is the imminent God. He wants to be close to you. Next week, we're going to talk about his name, Emmanuel. Remember what that means? God with us. The holy God of heaven made himself human to be near to us. And from the beginning to the end of his ministry, that's what Jesus said. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. This holy, set-apart God came to us so that we can become holy. Think for a moment about some of the things God gives you to make you holy. He gives you his Holy Spirit. You have his Spirit, Galatians 5, 16. But I say walk in the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You have his holy word. Jesus prayed in John 17, 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. You have his holy bride, the church. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Look at the, word, the wording here. That he might sanctify her. That she might be holy without blemish. As the church were to be set apart, made holy, to do what is good. In Hebrews chapter 10, the writer mentions there that we are to stir one another up to love and good works. Remember that? Not to forsake the assembly, but to encourage one another. Has the pandemic not taught us that? 
how much we need that, how much we're missing that, how much we're longing for that. We need that. Here's one more, and it's a big one. God has given us his holy son's return. 1 John 3, verses 2 and 3. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet, been, has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Again, I read those words pure and purify. Same Greek word as holy, set apart, sanctify. Same word here. See, all these things that Jehovah in Kadesh has given us to make us holy. F.B. Meyer has written a lot of commentaries. In one of his books, he wrote about going to visit a widow and on that day it was a warm winter day and she had, uh, had put her laundry, her whites, out to dry. And so he commented how beautifully white they were against the drab brown of winter. But as they were visiting, snow fell. And when they went back outside to the car, they couldn't help but notice that her white linens didn't look so white anymore. And she made the comment, nothing can compete against God's white. Nothing or no one can make us clean like Jehovah in Kadesh. But do you want God to make you holy? Do you want God to make you holy? Let me close by sharing two questions. Do you realize that only believers or Christians or, or followers of Jesus, however you want to describe it, only believers have the privilege of living a holy life. I think that word is key. It's a privilege. It's not a burden. To be set apart, to be this peculiar people, that is not a call to be odd or strange. That's not what he's talking about here. The goal is not for people to, to stare at you or that you stand out in a peculiar way or poke fun. Holiness means you're living by his standards. Holiness means you're living by his ways. It's not a burden, it's a privilege, it's a calling. It's part of being royalty. You're the child of a king. And because of that, then you are to live a certain way. We, as children of the king, have the capacity. Think about this. We have the capacity to remain clean in a polluted world. That those who don't know Jesus, they don't have that. One author wrote about a beautiful white flower that grew near the entrance of a coal mine. And that no matter how black that dust went everywhere, it would not stick to the white flower. And finally someone asked, and his guide explained, the surface of the petals were so smooth that that black dust would not stick. That is what Jehovah M. Kadesh does for his people. God does not call us to live in some secluded commune that, so that we can remain uh, perfect. Now, when we are children, even when we're teenagers, our parents will put some barriers around us, and rightfully so, because we need that growing up. But as we mature, as we become adults, we realize God calls us to live in the world, but not be of the world, to let the beauty of Jesus seen. It's a privilege. Well, here's the second question Do you realize your holiness is your gift of God? For his gift of Christ. God imparts his life to us. 
We offer our lives to him. Look at Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. There's the word again, holy, pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. That's the story of salvation. God has set you free from the slavery of sin so that you are free to do what's right. To live the good life, the best life. Holiness is not confined to an hour of worship. It is all of life. Do you know what our destiny is as a church? What all of us should be thinking about, praying about, looking forward to? It's in this verse. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16-18. One day, this bride is going to be presented holy, spotless, to the groom, King Jesus. For the Lord himself would descend from heaven with the cry of a command, the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. The holy God wants to make you holy. Do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? Have you had your sins washed away in baptism? Have you repented of those sins? Have you let Him make you a new creation to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit? We're going to sing a song to encourage you to say yes. Or if we can pray for you in any way, would you come as we stand and sing?